Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. And today is one of our spotlight episodes in which we get to dive in and explore a specific culture. Today, we get to examine South Asian culture and what we can learn from the way in which they express themselves as the church and as people who live together. Let's do this! Hey, how are you guys doing? Thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's been awesome to continue this conversation and to continue to learn from each other and to grow with each other. And we really value the time that you guys spend with us today. One of the things that we always are very much about is about sharing stories, especially stories about how God is moving, because then we see how God's kingdom is breaking in. And today we have a very special guest. Pastor Benji is joining us He's going to be sharing some of his stories about the South Asian community and what God has been doing and how we can be encouraged and be stretched in the process. Pastor Benji, how are you doing? Well, this morning I told a lady, the way I answered the question was, I'm doing reasonably well, and she didn't know how to respond to me. (laughs) (laughs) People usually don't know how to respond to that question (laughs) or that answer at all. (laughs) It's usually good or or whatnot. Uh, We also got Shu and Bernard. What's going on? Hey, hey. Going well. Going well. Oh, yeah. See, that's a different kind of answer. (laughs) I have to say, before we jump in, right before we started recording and we were just starting to get to know one another and sharing, Pastor Benji, you were mentioning something about coffee. Right. And we were mentioning about Tim Hortons and Starbucks, and and, but then you were saying real coffee is Indian coffee. Right. Tell (laughs) us just very briefly, what is Indian coffee so that our listeners can be enlightened? Okay. Indian coffee is where you uh, get a bag of homo milk and you boil it and into it you put Indian coffee and uh, some uh, spices and you let it spill over and then uh, you uh, drink it piping hot uh, with uh, Indian sugar and uh, that's uh, the coffee of heaven. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so where where can you get this? Oh, you got to visit the Indian homes. It's ah, not in it's okay. not in stores. So okay. we have to come over to your house. That's right. Yes. For a small fee, I'll introduce you. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yes, and is the spilling over part of the process too? That's right. It's got to spill. Oh, wow. So what's overflowing of the Holy Spirit? Over. It's no. so biblical. <laughs> so what's interesting is now that we are on that theme. Like, if you are going to dedicate a house in India or Sri Lanka. Always milk, pure milk is uh-huh. boiled over. So a sign of prosperity and blessing. Mm-hmm. And no one will move into the house before first the milk is wow. boiling Super. over. That's so something cool. cool to learn. Yeah. What a cool cultural tradition. Yes. So we're going to let you introduce yourself. And actually, if you could also share with us how to pronounce your last name. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm not quite sure. So. It's Benjamin Davidson. Uh, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> close enough. And why don't you do, introduce yourself to our right. listeners too? So my uh, t- complete name is uh, Devanesan Benjamin Devadasan. Deva is the Tamil name for God. So mm-hmm. Devanesan means lover of God. Benjamin, of course, is a biblical name. And Devadasan means the servant of God. 
<laughs> so, I mean, when I was named, there was, I had no options open. I had to be a lover of God <laughs> and I had to become a servant of God. It's in your name. It's in the name. It's in the name. It's in the name. So powerful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what has been your faith journey like? What has been your journey in ministry like? So I was uh, born and raised in the country of Sri Lanka, which is 70% Buddhist, 18% Hindu, 7% Muslim. And so we evangelical Christians were a minority. But uh, from the time I was born, I was uh, raised in a very fine uh, evangelical church in Colombo. So I uh, learned a lot about the Bible and uh, you take average Sunday as I look back on my teen years. You go for Sunday school in the morning, then the morning service, which is two and a half hours, then the youth meeting at four o'clock, then the evening service at six. So your day starts at eight in the morning and wouldn't uh, finish till about eight, eight thirty in the night. That was my life growing up. Okay. I grew up in the church. So my goodness, I, I heard tons and tons and tons of sermons. But it was only in the 20th year of my life when uh, my mom all of a sudden fell ill and after a 40-day stay in hospital, she died at the age of 49. My whole world was turned upside down. And then I seriously began to ask all the worldview questions. Origin, who am I, uh, meaning and purpose, why is there evil and suffering, what happens at death. I, I began to very seriously ask all those questions. And the Lord brought a very wonderful uh, Christian youth leader into my life who journeyed with me. Uh, during that time of struggle, and introduced me to, at that time, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm. And there, once again, all the basic gospel truths were reinforced. And uh, so 1973, December, was when I opened up my life to Christ uh, to be my personal Lord and Savior. And very intriguingly, the very next year, I was called into full-time Christian ministry. Okay. And... Uh, so I really thank the Lord for different people who played a key part in my life in bringing me to my point of uh, salvation and guiding me into full-time Christian ministry. Mm. Right. So uh, as soon as I came to know the Lord, uh, without anyone telling me, I just wanted to run into the streets and tell everyone uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Nice. So I still remember putting two... Uh, two bags, we call it the Indian bags, uh, which you can put over your shoulders, loaded with tracts and booklets in three languages, English, Sinhalese, Tamil. And I would just go onto the streets and uh, begin to distribute. And then, of course, people will ask all kinds of questions for which I had uh, no answer most of the time. <laughs> and then I would come to my senior pastor, who was a Buddhist convert, and he very patiently would sit and disciple me. So I didn't go through any formal education like what we know here in North America. I couldn't even go to a Bible college because none existed. So everything we learned was doing it on the street and then coming running back to our senior pastor for all the answers. And uh, that's how I learned and grew. And then uh, uh, I uh, was asked to uh, preach on a Sunday evening. And Sunday evening is our big service. You get a very good crowd on a Sunday evening. <laughs> And my senior pastor one day came and told me, Benji, next Sunday evening you're preaching. So I looked behind to see who the Benji was and there was a wall behind me. And <laughs> I suddenly realized he's talking to me. And uh, so uh, uh, I went on Tuesday to visit him that week. I said, how do you prepare a sermon? So he gave a very simple answer. He said, go lock yourself up in your room. Take your King James Version Bible. That are the only version we had. 
kneel down, ask God for a message and he will give you a message. You write it down and come and tell us. That's how you prepare a message. So now I wonder why people go through five years of uh, seminary <laughs> to uh, learn homiletics and homiletics uh, all these uh, terms when uh, that's how I learned to preach. So that's how I launched into my preaching career, Very nice. teaching career, evangelism career. So we were in Sri Lanka till 1985. I was then 32 years of age uh, and the civil war in the country in which we were affected uh, caused us to come to this part of the world, uh, to Canada. So my journey in Canada began in March of 1985. Yeah, and when you came to Canada, was it right to Toronto? Yeah, my sister-in-law lived here, so she's the one who sponsored us. Mm. And uh, and then we discovered that after we came here, there were thousands of fellow Sri Lankans who had come here because of the war, and we realized that uh, we had an amazing ministry open to us uh, right here in Toronto. I, I, I'm from Colombo, so I'm technically a southerner, but uh, <laughs> the war was all in the north and east. And so here I'm meeting people from the north and east whom I would never have met back in uh, Sri Lanka because I'm a southerner. And uh, so it's amazing how the Lord has worked it all out and uh, how I still continue to date. Uh, ministering to my community. We'd love to hear from your perspective, what has been the history of the South Asian church? We're going to ask Canada, but that might be too big. Maybe just Toronto or whatever you can comment on. So when you say South Asian community, I want to be clear that uh, we know what countries we are talking about. So of course, India comes first because, I mean, India is the big giant of South Asia, (laughs) over 1 billion people. What? I thought it was just a small country. No, just... that's Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is a very small <laughs> island. <laughs> India is our big neighbor to the north. And when India says jump, we simply say how high. <laughs> India is the cosmic policeman for our area. Wow. And you, you don't mess around with India. So when you say South Asia, we talk about India. We talk about Pakistan. And we could be here for 24 hours talking about India and Pakistan. Hmm. Then we talk about Bangladesh, then we talk about Sri Lanka, we talk about Nepal, right? So these are some of the key countries that we are thinking about when we talk about Southeast Asia. So if I look at uh, just the the Sri Lankan context, uh, let me narrow it down. Let me say the Tamil context. Tamil is one of the key languages spoken both in uh, India and Sri Lanka and Singapore and uh, Mm -hmm. countries like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I just take it as the Tamil community, we have over 75 Tamil churches uh, in the GTA right now. Mm. And some of them are huge. Some of them have about uh, 600 people and all pioneer work. Everything started from zero. And uh, one man who had a vision and how God blessed it and grew it. So I'm involved with some of these uh, Sri Lankan churches. Of course, another key language in uh, Sri Lanka is Sinhalese. So we have a couple of uh, Sinhalese churches that I'm aware of. And I help one of those churches. And uh, so we have uh, Pakistani churches. We have Indian churches. When you say India, my goodness, the number of languages. So you have Telugu, you have Punjabi and uh, uh, Malayalam. uh, And so you just can't say India. You have to just uh, specify and say what language group are we talking about. Right. So we have churches according to the different language groups. 
Pakistan would be mostly Urdu. So you have the Urdu churches. Then you have the Bangladeshi uh, uh, churches. And so it's very exciting to see these ethnic churches. But the big but is uh, we are looking at uh, the first generation. Uh, who love to speak their mother language some don't even know english mm-hmm, so yeah. these churches really help uh, minister to them so when you look at the second generation i think this is true of the chinese churches too the 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 tamil speaking people would meet separately and their children who would obviously want something in english would meet separately but all under the same roof okay and so it's kind of exciting in one way uh, to see that structure but my concern is that our second generation should interact more closely uh, with the entire community in the gta meaning that uh, it must be more multicultural mm. so i like to see my english speaking sri lankans uh, interact with the chinese with yeah. the koreans uh, and uh, whatever mm-hmm. other language group so that's one of the tensions where the tamil churches don't want to let go of their young people yeah. and of course the cultural uh, thing plays a lot too so for example uh, i have a youth camp we call it the sri lankan youth camp we've been running it now for 32 years and uh, parents are very comfortable in sending their young people to our youth camp as opposed to a church a multicultural church youth camp because of some of the cultural distinctives mm-hmm. so for example the dress code so parents are very concerned about the dress code okay then the different different habits that uh, uh, people uh, would have so so we understand that dynamic uh, and so we 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 live in that tension uh, we want to respect the ethnic churches right. and the pastors and encourage them in their outreach to their youth but also at the same time how do we try to bring them on board in interacting with other uh, young people networking with other cultures. Mm-hmm. So in the Chinese context, we've been hearing a lot of this silent or not so silent exodus of the second generation where they're leaving their I guess like their mother church or ethnic churches whatever and they're either going to like mainstream churches or they just leave church altogether. Mm. Is that also kind of happening in the South Asian community too? That, that that struggle is there. So I'll give you one example. Uh, now this girl is from an Indian background. she started coming for our sri lankan youth uh, ministry and two years ago the lord really touched her life and uh, but then the parents go to a tamil church and the parents are very strict that their daughter should come with them to the tamil church but she wants to be part of a english church of a multicultural english church and i happen to be the pastor at new life christian church uh, which is a multicultural church so i encouraged her to come to the to our service Uh, then i suddenly realize hey there is this problem the parents don't want her to come to leave the tamil church so it worked beautifully because the tamil service is at 8 o'clock in the morning and our service is at 10:30 mm. so she makes a huge sacrifice in order to please her parents she will go for the tamil service sit with them mm-hmm. and then drop them off at home and make a beeline to our service wow but you can't expect all the young people to do that sure especially the 8 o'clock service. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's early morning. <laughs> But I guess that was part of the culture when you were mentioning back in your home country, that was kind of the ex- expectation, right? There right. was services all day long starting right. very early, right? Right. 
and also the principle of honoring your father and mother so we are very uh, strict on teaching that we uh, encourage our youth never to disrespect or disobey their parents and if there can be a healthy compromise let's work that out so that's one of the things i get involved in i had to go and visit families parents and talk them into these kind of compromises good compromises mm. and uh, and see whether we can make a good decision in the best interests of the young people yeah there's a lot of questions that i can think of following up from this but i think one of the things that as you've been having these conversations with families and such what are some of the pathways of moving forward to minister to families and to the second or third generation especially as some of them are kind of seeing their identity as being shaped by a canadian culture as well as being you know south asian how do we sensitively lead in a way that you know people can be engaged and that they can continue to be part of that community that's a very very tough uh, proposition so when i visit the parents so that's the first generation mm-hmm. i always tell them look you can't think sri lankan that's how you have been raised and that's how probably you're going to die but you're now living in canada your children were born here for the most part like my son he was born here so the only culture that he knows is the canadian culture and yes you have tried to educate them on on the indian culture or the sri lankan culture but with very limited success and uh, so i try to educate the parents and say there is a clash of cultures the sri lankan culture with the canadian culture but technically a third culture also comes into play and that's the biblical culture so mm. what is the biblical culture and uh, how how do we bring the three together so uh, parents uh, are not uh, that in uh, understanding this dynamic so you have to keep working with them and one of the things i tell the parents is okay uh, why don't you come and observe a youth meeting come and sit at the back and you just pretend to read a paper and you just observe what is happening mm-hmm. right because you are fearful of what is taking place so you come and observe or we have what is called a deep life retreat every labor day uh, weekend come at least one day for the labor day retreat and you will see a lot of young people from mississauga toronto brampton all interacting okay second generation and you will be very pleased to know that uh, these other young people are uh, amazing young people uh, you have nothing to be afraid of uh, and uh, uh, so so that's what i work on quite a bit educating the parents and then of course the second generation teaching them respect yeah you are in a canadian culture so for example i tried to teach my son some basic tamil words it worked up to a point but then it all <laughs> it, it just fell apart it's and i don't blame thing. him because he said dad you know what i i'm not going to go to sri lanka at any point why are you forcing me to learn tamil uh, i i i focus on my uh, french and spanish that would help me much more living in this part of the world at this time so i understood that I encouraged him along those lines and I stopped pushing the Tamil card. Right. Mm. And uh, but I I would still tell him stories. Every year I go to Sri Lanka on a mission trip and I would love to see him come on a mission trip just to get a taste of what Sri Lanka is. He's open, he's open but he's still not made up his mind. Mm-hmm. So that's the challenge uh, I have with the second generation. You've also got to get your feet wet. You've got to explore your roots. One day you should be able to tell your children 
our roots are from Sri Lanka, right. from northern Sri Lanka. Here is the village my parents grew up in, and the, the school my parents went to. So that's one of the things I promote with my son. Um, the school that I went to, I very proudly say, is probably the best in Sri Lanka. We have produced four prime ministers. Wow. And uh, so I wow. always tell uh, my son, Jonathan, you've got to come and see my school and, uh, and get a feel for where dad learned and uh, grew and uh, got his education. And even now, so excited about his old school. We talk about it. We are involved uh, in some degree with our old school. So that's the balancing act that I, right. I get involved in. You could tell him that if you go to that school and just touch it, You're you blessed. might be the prime minister. Yeah. At <laughs> least you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. <laughs> which, which prime minister where? Oh, man. Let's not, let's not get into that question. That's a, that's a big topic right there. Well, what's, what's one of the pressing uh, issues that you find in, well, I guess you could speak towards the, this, this Sri Lankan uh, community more, but like in South, the South Asian community in general, the immigrants, like what are one of the pressing issues you find is happening in terms of like the difficulties in, in engaging others in mission and sharing the gospel in the area? What, what's something like you find is a pressing issue? Right. So if you look at South Asia, you're looking at three major religions, Sri Lanka, Buddhism, India, Hinduism, and you take a country like Pakistan, that would be Islam. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the broad picture, I mean, we Christians are a minority. So all what we talked about right now is in the Christian context. Mm. But now we are talking about missions and reaching out and evangelism. So how do we now reach out to the Buddhists? How do we reach out to the Hindus? How do we reach out to the Muslims? And that is a phenomenal challenge. But I always tell our young people, you guys have the best opportunity of uh, making connections with uh, Hindus, uh, Muslims, and Buddhists, uh, much more than your parents. Why? Because you're going to school together here. You're yes. going to university together. You're going to uh, discover all kinds of intriguing people. And in the context of relationship, you will be able to share the gospel at some point, bring them to gospel events, and uh, introduce them uh, to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, your life has to speak volumes. These Buddhist friends, uh, Muslim friends, Hindu friends, they need to see that there is a change in your life that your values are radically different. You are marching to a different drumbeat, the drumbeat of heaven. And then at some point, they should ask you the question, hey, what makes you so different from us? Hmm. How come you live the way uh, that uh, you are living? So now what's interesting is if I go back to my uh, Sri Lankan roots, so I, the school that I went to is a Christian school, but Hindu parents, Buddhist parents, Muslim parents who want their children to have the best possible education in the country would pay enormous amounts of money to send their boys to the school that I went to. Hmm. So the class that I was part of, most of my friends are Hindu. And then a sprinkling of uh, uh, Muslim and uh, Buddhist. We grew up like that for, what, 8, 9, 10 years, and we still maintain the friendship today. Sure. And what's interesting is uh, when the religious festivals come, and now just imagine Sri Lanka, we get holidays for all the Buddhist uh, big holidays, mm. Christian holidays, Hindu holidays, Muslim holidays. Oh. So talk about <laughs> holidays. Get them all. My goodness, we have tons of holidays. <laughs> but what's interesting is 
So yeah. when uh, the Hindus are <laughs> celebrating a festival, we would go and visit their home just for one reason, because of the food factor. Mm. Because there are tons of food prepared for that uh, festival. And we would go and enjoy that food and uh, talk about what that uh, festival meant to them. But Christmas, the ball comes right back to our court. Mm. Because then we have to prepare the food. We have to entertain all these uh, (laughs) non-Christian friends. And they would come and eat. But it gives us a wonderful opportunity of telling them, hey, what is Christmas all about? So I think that's what I envision uh, seeing in our second generation. You don't necessarily have to have big festivals, but Christmas, Easter, these are great opportunities to invite your non-Christian friends and say, hey, come and see uh, why we celebrate Christmas and why we celebrate Easter and uh, introduce them to the gospel that way too. One of the ways that you can Mm -hmm. introduce them to the gospel. Did you find that your friends were receptive to the gospel message? It all depends on what kind of a relationship you have built up with them over the years. Yeah. And yes, open in the sense they will respect what you have to say. They will not uh, talk ill of your faith. They will ask questions of your faith. And yes, uh, there, there have been responses too in the, in the sense that people have opened up their life to Christ as Lord and Savior. But, uh, but uh, the opportunity is uh, all there. Uh, to present Christ. So, uh, one simple example. I always tell our second generation Christians, I firmly believe in prayer evangelism, much more now than at any other point in my life. Okay, so you are going to visit your friend over something and he's sharing a problem with you. You can always say, hey, can I pray over you? There's a problem you're facing. Can I talk to my God about your problem? 99% 0.9% of the time, no one is going to say a no to that. (laughs) And so then you begin to declare the gospel in your prayer. So Mm -hmm. how I would pray is, okay, here is Siva. Siva is a Hindu name uh, and he is experiencing some illness. So I said, okay, Siva, I'm going to pray for you. And so in my prayer, what I would say is, Lord Jesus, I worship you as the true and the living God, the light of the world. Lord Jesus, you claim to be the way, the truth and the life. And Lord Jesus, you came to earth from heaven. You lived an impeccable life for 33 years. And then uh, you performed mighty miracles. You gave great teachings. But in the 33rd year of your life, you died on the cross for all our sins, for my sins, for Siva's sins. You died as our savior, sacrifice, substitute. You were buried. You rose again the third day. You are alive forevermore. And anyone who chooses to come to you on your terms, you will forgive them all their sins and give them the gift of eternal life. And Lord Jesus, you are the great physician, the healer of all our diseases. And Siva has got a health issue now. And in your great mercy, be pleased to touch him, touch him with resurrection, life and power. And may he experience your deliverance and your healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So that's how I pray. And I educate our second generation. That's how you pray. Hmm. Awesome. Do you see the same kind of process happening here in Toronto? The same process of the relationship building? Like, or is there like more of an openness to the Christian gospel when people immigrate, say, from like Sri Lanka or India? So that's an interesting question because I had an uncle from my wife's side who, who was a very, very strong Hindu. 
And every time I meet with him, it always ends in arguments. He, <laughs> oh, will, <no. laughs> he will pick up pieces from here and there to kind of use against Christianity. So one day I told him, Uncle, you know what? You're a Hindu. You lived in Sri Lanka. You couldn't continue to live in Sri Lanka. The best option for you would have been to go to India. Because India is a Hindu country. And you would have been very comfortable there. Why did you choose to come to Canada? You chose to come to Canada because Canada has something better to offer than India in terms of peace and prosperity. And in the eyes of us coming from uh, Asia, uh, Canada is seen to be a Christian country. So I rubbed it into him and I said, you chose to come <laughs> into a Christian country as opposed to going to a Hindu country. Why? And he couldn't answer that. And the good news is that uh, through persistent visits, uh, and uh, at some point he uh, opened or broke down and he trusted Christ uh, wow. alone for personal awesome. salvation. So that's a nice story of how it all ended well in the end. Yeah. And even in that comment that you made to him, you're pointing to something of the gospel message, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like you're looking at Canada traditionally, well, maybe way back in the day, a Christian country, but you're saying like there was something more. Yeah. There was something more there. And like as Christ has, came, has come to give us life to the full and we experience the fullness of life in him, that that's in itself. There's parallels there, right? right. So that's amazing. Is Canada still seen around the world as a Christian nation? Uh, largely, I would say yes. Uh, unless a person comes and lives here <laughs> and uh, sees <laughs> everything no that Christ is happening. <laughs> but but I, th- I think that's their... And I'd love to get even more into like some colonialism kind of talk in terms of Christianity and how some of that's impact. I'm sure that's impacted like, you know, Sri Lanka, impact India with all of in- certain influences from Europe, the European side. That's, a, I'm sure, a, a different conversation. Yeah. But yeah, for sure, I would say Canada's still seen by a lot of the world as Christian. Well, U.S. Correct. even more so, right? Yeah. But like definitely. It, it, is, it is true in some ways too. Like I had an Iranian friend. Who, when they came to Toronto, they were like, "The first thing I need to do is I got to check out a church." <laughs> I was like, "That's awesome," <laughs> in, a, in a way. But then the church didn't really receive them, so oh, uh, that's a different story. That's very sad. Uh, yeah. So j- j- just to uh, uh, give you an encouraging story, uh, I was at this Baptist church, and uh, as you rightly said, this large Iranian family one day just walked into the church and. Fortunately, it happened to be service time, uh, 10 minutes before the service time. They were just intrigued and probably the first time in their life, they had the courage to walk into a church. So we, we welcomed them, we blessed them and we said, you know, why don't you come and sit and you don't have to do anything, you just observe. And they got a wonderful experience of uh, Christianity. Just they chose to come. It's pretty interesting to talk a little bit about the perspective of Canada as a Christian country or as other countries look at Canada. Because I think for us growing up here, we've seen less and less of the Christian influence in our culture and in our society. And yet the world may look in and see, you mentioned, Shu, you mentioned the States earlier. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) right? And even with Canada. And it's interesting to hear stories about people expecting that that is part of the culture and wanting to explore that, wanting to walk into a church and experience what that is like. But at the same time, culture is also not at that same place anymore. Hmm. That's a really interesting point to think about like, oh, as people immigrate into Canada, there might already be this perception that like, oh, 
there is some kind of Christian roots or influence, and maybe that's a way that they may be more open to receiving the gospel or listening to what the gospel is. Where I think here, those growing up here, second generation or third generation, may have grown up with a sense of just tolerance. It's like everyone has their own thing, and that's fine, and we respect each other, and we you know, are at peace with that. But it's more of a sense of like, okay, you know, each, each to their own. It's privatized, it's individualized, and that's a different kind of yeah. landscape. Yeah, a question I would have is like, how do you feel that influence of kind of atheism, agnosticism, that's influencing, you know, I'm sure it's prevalent in Canada, in, in the Western world more than ever, kind of almost post-Christian, post-Christendom that's happening. Is that, do you feel that that's impacting a lot uh, your communities that you're involved uh, in? Not too much. Yes, right before our eyes, we are seeing the secularization of uh, society here in Canada where God is seen as being totally irrelevant. The supernatural is just thrown out of the window. and uh, uh, But... Uh, Within the Asian community, and uh, all the credit goes to the first generation, uh, that it doesn't matter what religious background you come from, uh, the concept of God and reverence for God, respect for God, obeying God, uh, following the religious uh, traditions, uh, have been kept alive, have been kept alive. So where, where the second generation will be challenged is when they go to university mm-hmm. and they have a godless professor or godless friends who might try to talk them out of it. But uh, generally speaking, they retain that root. They, they retur- retain that God uh, consciousness and uh, uh, wouldn't easily give it up. Mm. Where do you see South Asian churches in Canada going in the next 5 to 10 to 15 years from now? You know, as they continue to navigate with those coming into the country from, from like immigrating into the country, but also those who are growing up here, second and third generation. Where do you think God is moving within the context of South Asian churches and communities? So uh, the first generation uh, will, as long as they continue to exist, the need for ethnic churches, let me use the word ethnic, sure. uh, just for sake of clarity. Yeah. Uh, the ethnic churches will definitely continue. Uh, as long as people keep coming in who don't have English as their main language, the necessity for uh, ethnic churches will continue. The other thing, uh, which again we could discuss at length, is uh, the whole uh, the, the worship experience. So uh, the first generation uh, loves a certain worship experience. I love to sing songs in Tamil. I love the uh, Asian uh, instruments mm. uh, as opposed to what we use here in Canada. I love that. And uh, so, so we cherish it. We cherish the tradition. We cherish the the worship experience. And uh, so, the ethnic churches will continue to play a big part in in providing that for those who uh, don't have English as their first language. Hmm. But where the problem will become more serious is the young people. So, for how long are we going to keep the young people under our roof? And at what point will we have the courage to release them to be able to go uh, to a church of their choosing, like my son? I I gave him full permission. I said, you don't have to come to where dad comes. You have the permission to pick and choose the church that you want to be part of. And he he went around, he saw some churches, 
And finally, he gelled with one church and on his own, he became a member and very actively involved in the life of the local church. Right. So I use my son's story to encourage parents, look, at some point, you will have to release. And yes, the young people, uh, the second generation, third generation, at least Christmas time or Easter, they should respect you enough to say, Dad, we are going to come with you for your service and experience your experience, even though we don't fully understand everything that takes place. So to to do a compromise like that. Wow. That's a big, that's a humble attitude too. I don't, I haven't heard that many parents speak in those terms <laughs> to be able to, hey, I will release my child because, you know, I trust in the way that God is working in their life and that they may engage and connect with another community in a different way. Right. But also that there is that sense of tetheredness yeah. to their culture of origin. Right. And the protection, right? I don't want other cultures, and every culture has got its positives and negatives. So I don't want the negatives of another culture to uh, influence Mm -hmm. my son or daughter. So I want to keep my son or daughter, and more so if it is a girl, you would want to protect her as much as you can and keep her under that umbrella. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I understand. I understand. I don't. (laughs) I don't have boys. I know. Shu and I have girls, oh, okay. uh, but I have a I have a son as well. And okay. So and Bernard has two boys. Yes. Okay, so he's okay. He's yeah. okay. He doesn't need to yeah. protect fly, fly the coop. Uh, yeah, bigger umbrella. Just yeah. go. Yeah, he can release them very early. Uh, I asked him if he was ready today. No. <laughs> That's right. Are you ready to go out into the world and forge your own path? Now you mentioned something in that last comment that I wanted to ask you about. You talked about some of the negative aspects of other cultures and stuff like that. And just for, from your observation, what do you think is one characteristic of that culture that sometimes can be negative and harmful for a person? Yeah, I think the overprotectiveness is uh, one of the big things about uh, our culture from uh, Southeast Asia. You, you live under your parents' protection till the day that you get married, mm. which could be age 29 or age 30, mm. right? So in, in, in the North American culture, you're free to go and live on your own uh, at age, what, 16, 17, 18? You're, you're free. Yeah. You can go and live on your own. You can have your own car. Uh, you can ent- entertain anyone in your uh, room, apartment, <laughs> right? Uh, you, and oh so so we, we, we shiver and shudder when we think of that aspect of North American culture. But then when we look at our culture, are we too overprotective? Uh, so my fellow lived with us till he was age 28, (laughs) believe it or not. And, uh, till he came home every night, I couldn't go to sleep. Now my fellow doesn't, he's not a night bird in the sense of being out till two, three in the morning, but then there have been days he'll come at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock and I will text him. Son, where are you? (laughs) Don't don't worry. I'm a young adult dad. So I said, yeah, but I'm a, I'm your dad. And my first generation uh, culture says, I don't go to sleep till you come home. Okay. So, so that is, I don't know whether you see it as positive or negative. <laughs> but my dad, when I grew up, so we had three boys and we each had our own time to come in. My dad would never go to sleep till all of us were in the house. He will never ever ask, where have you been? He never came and smelled to see whether we have consumed alcohol. (laughs) But the moment we walked in through the front door, he will switch off his light and go to his bed. Mm -hmm. So that memory is there in my mind. He spoke very few words. He was a man of prayer. 
but he ensured the safety of the boys mm. till we came. It's a virtue, and if taken to extreme, could be harmful if yeah. it's overprotectiveness. Yeah. But it's it is a virtue. It's a good thing to, well, yeah. to want to care for your your family and to and to be having that sense of peace when you know that like oh like they are they're home and they're safe. Yes, yeah. it's an interesting contextual thing about God. Yeah, you know that people can see oh well, you're just overbearing, you're you're oppressive, you know, just not giving me what I want. But at the same time, no, the God who wants to cover cover you, protect you. There, there's great great things to to see about who this God is that way. Mm. But yeah, you can go to an extreme to go, no, 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 you're just restricting me. Uh, but yet we also have the story of the prodigal son. Yeah. The, you know, which balances. It's, it's the lenses the of how you see it, right? Yeah, those see are cool from, parallels. You can yeah. see it from the lens of oppression. You can see it in the lens of love. Yeah. Right? And we started off with food. I thought it'd be fun to end off with food. Curious, what would be kind of like your favorite home-cooked meal? Like you would, you can eat that every day. Right. So, uh, the, the name that I mentioned might not resonate with you, but uh, I love what we call the dosa. Oh, uh, it's like a pancake, yeah. a large, big pancake with samba, with chutney, oh. and uh, spicy. And uh, I can eat it every day. You can, <laughs> you can have it for breakfast. You can have it for lunch. You can have it for dinner. Wow. Now, when I pastored the New Life Christian Church, it was largely an Indian, uh, uh, Indian church, uh, and they were experts at making biryani. And depending on which part of India you came from, the biryani would be different. Right. And uh, so I, I have given them all PhDs. Okay. <laughs> uh, you have got a Telugu PhD. You have got a Punjabi PhD. You have got a Malayalam PhD. You have got a Goan PhD for your biryani. And what's amazing, we talked so much about culture. So uh, as a pastor, you're expected to visit the people. It's inconceivable to be a pastor and not visit the people. And I'm not saying visiting an emergency, regular visitation. So the beautiful thing about the visits is you get to know the family at a deeper level, but you are never sent away without a fabulous. <laughs> so, Great. my goodness. And then you get a doggy bag to take home. <laughs> so where do you get a deal like that? Yes. So I want to welcome you to be part of a ethnic South Asian church <laughs> but make sure you've got gym membership you've got to burn off all those oh, yes you gotta oh, eat boy. so much yeah. you gotta eat so much that's that's a great invitation awesome. by the way yeah. yes so yeah as we wrap up our episode we ended off with a takeaway box and this is one word of encouragement or challenge uh for our guests to be able to offer to our listeners as they continue to wrestle and continue to journey and continue to understand what does it mean to be the people of God, the church here in Canada, but also understanding where they've come from and how, how they can be continually living on God's mission in this world. So what would be one thing you would leave with our listeners, either a word of encouragement or challenge in regards to uh, you know, being his people, his followers in Canada and, and as a blend of two different cultures? So for me, when I think of Toronto, wow. What an exciting place to live in. So multicultural. And uh, I mean, you, you got to be blind not to see the different cultures all around you. And with the summer months coming, the opportunity to see the other cultures becomes more marked and profound. So my encouragement and challenge is 
that over the two summer months or three summer months, for you to try and befriend as many people from another culture as possible. Cool. And a simple walk to a to a park uh, would uh, bring you in contact with people of other cultures, and you can just engage in whatever dialogue you would like to. Uh, one of the goals I set for myself is I said I I need to do a few more trips to Brampton. and i need to engage the punjabi community the sikh community the people with the turbans on their head mm-hmm. and there are some parks i have already identified where on any evening on a summer day you see the whole community sikh community in that park the men sitting in one area the women sitting in another area the children playing in the center and they are just enjoying each other as a community and i could just walk into that take a seat with some of the men and uh, talk about cricket because cricket is a big thing for india mm. and you you get a relationship going so set a goal like that for the summer months that's awesome all right and i'm pretty sure this episode will come out before the summer so it'll be right <laughs> right on time anyways thank you guys so much for listening to our episode today and thank you pastor benji for joining us today lots of great insights and things to consider as we consider what does it mean to live on mission in this world Hey, if you haven't done so already, please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast, review our episodes, because this helps us get this conversation out there, engage with more people, and we'd love to hear back from you. So we, you can reach us on email or Facebook or Twitter. Hey, it's been great to be part of this conversation together. You've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time. Peace.